Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is week 10, part 5 of our series, Freedom from Fascism, a Christian Response to Mass Formation Psychosis. I am Michael J. Sutton. The theme for this week is Mass Formation Psychosis and Religion. Why are the churches lying about taxation? The topic for today's podcast is Jesus is their ticket to the good life. Do only rich people go to heaven? It's a common belief today, as it was in the past, that only rich people go to heaven. Many assume this is the case. Jesus is their ticket to the good life. Many Christian fascists teach it all the time. They say that the way to God is through a particular kind of faith. This is not the faith that God gives, but this is a faith of self-effort. This is a faith that comes from you, whereas the faith of the Bible, the faith that God gives, is a God-given gift. It is a gift of God through faith. Well, faith is a gift from God. Christian fascists believe that if you have great faith, then you can have everything you want. Then you get what you want, and that's proof that you have enough faith. If you have this faith, then it's proof that you'll go to heaven, because for them, faith is the key to wealth, which is proof of being right with God and therefore of the way to heaven. This belief that only rich people go to heaven has, however, a downside. If you are a Christian and you're poor, then it means that you do not have enough faith It means that you do not have God's blessing. You're not stepping out in faith. It also means that God is not listening to you, that what you are asking for is not in faith. Yet it means ultimately that you will be excluded from heaven. If you go on the internet today, then you will find many, many ministers of various denominations promising you the world if you have enough enough faith. This faith, as I said, is not The faith the Bible speaks of, the faith that secures salvation in Christ, it is a faith of self-effort. If you have enough belief that you want something strong enough, then God will give it to you. This is, not surprisingly, complete and utter rubbish. Let me just say that again as a message to all those Christian ministers out there on the internet that are promising the opposite. You're talking absolute, complete and utter rubbish. Yet many Christian fascists have made a fortune lying to people with their weird and wacky ways for the fast track to wealth and heavenly blessings. I read about one the other day. It was He was talking about a secret Bible code that will unlock your wealth. You only need faith and all you want will be yours. It kind of reminds me of economists. Many people say that economists know the future. Economists can predict things. Well, you don't meet many rich economists. And there's a reason for that. And that is, of course, is that predicting the future is very, very difficult, even when you're an economist. Jesus is the way to the Father, not the way to wealth. We've been pondering the statement that Jesus made, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We've been pondering the way that this statement of Jesus has been ignored 
twisted or bypassed by the church to preserve and promote their power on earth. An essential part of this earthly kingdom is that it requires money, lots of it, and the church has gone to great lengths to argue that politics and an earthly kingdom is the way to God. Wealth doesn't matter to God. God is God. He doesn't need our money and everything on earth belongs to him anyway. But many in the church convince themselves that it is not God who moves mountains, but money. This is an ancient view. The ancients also believed the rich had the hotline to God. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19, verses 24 to 26, Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The disciples of Jesus, like many people today, believed that if someone was wealthy, then it meant that God was blessing them, and this meant that they were on the right path for the fast track to salvation. If the rich cannot be saved, therefore, then who can be? The church has also thought so over the years. Jesus is their ticket to the good life. They have accumulated wealth and sought prosperity and overall, churches have made many people rich. Google the Vatican and the Vatican Treasury. Look at all the grand cathedrals of Europe. Ponder the huge mega churches of North America and Australia. Listen to the sermons of many priests, ministers, and pastors that promise the blessings of God if you give them money, money, and more money. Jesus will never ask you for money. So why does the church? Nowhere in all the Gospels does Jesus ask his disciples for money. Jesus even said once that he had nowhere to sleep. Imagine that. Jesus, the saviour of the world, the one who came to save us from our sin. He had nowhere to sleep. He often slept outside, relying on the charity of friends and his followers he often stayed at the homes of friends, such as Mary, Martha and Lazarus. When Jesus died on the cross, he only had the shirt on his back. Many ministers I have met over the years have wardrobes full of designer clothes and only the best. Jesus never asked for money. So why do you pay money week in, week out to the church? And where does your money go? Many churches love Jesus only because Jesus is their ticket to the good life. Being a Christian is often associated with being wealthy. Many churches see the door of faith opening to prosperity and success. During the lockdown, with fewer people dying of COVID than they are now, many Christian leaders were able to benefit financially from government support packages known in Australia as JobKeeper. It was remarkably coincidental that during the time many of these ministers were receiving these very generous benefits from the government, but very few said anything about the policies of public health in Australia.
a remarkable coincidence. Even today, where more people are dying from COVID than during the height of the lockdown, the church, or many in the church, still remain quiet. Remarkable. At least they're consistent. The only way many churches define Christ is advocating in his name wealth accumulation. Paul asked sometimes for daily expenses, but most of his offerings were for the poor back in Jerusalem. So Paul is one of the men tasked with raising money for the poor, and I suspect that he was known as a man you could trust with your money. He is also a businessman and a successful one at that, so that's not surprising. Paul often went without food for the sake of the gospel and often worked in his trade. He was known as a tent maker. He wasn't making those camping tents that we take with our family when we go camping, but he was making those huge tents you see in the Middle East. Paul was a tradesman and one of the best probably, and he was happy to work for a living. It it is often how he met people, and if you're a tradesperson, you meet people, because he was living among them, working among them, and he was not hidden away in some monastery. Like Peter and Jesus, he had a trade. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. And Paul probably was known more for being a craftsman than an evangelist. Churches, however, need a good dose of Economics 101. As you know, the churches pay no taxes to the state. They all hide behind the charity rule so they can get as many exemptions as they can. Still, even there... Most churches cannot even break even. Many churches teeter on bankruptcy and are rarely in the black. Many cannot manage money properly and have standards so low it would send shivers down the spines of business people. In addition, many churches make such appalling business decisions. They often lose money, often squander money, and are always demanding more and more and more from you. We all pay the price of this culture of incompetence. For example, if you gave a business in Australia $1,000, many of them would make a profit. No problem. If you give the average church $1,000, in a few weeks they'll be begging for more because they've lost it. They don't know where it went. That's the difference. There is little or no financial oversight or regulation of the church sector. Churches are laughing all the way to the bank. They tell you to pay tax, but they don't. Jesus is their ticket to the good life, and it is a good life for many of them. But if Jesus did not seek a kingdom on earth, and he never did, what's the church doing? The way the church lives on earth is not building the kingdom that Christ spoke of. Jesus spoke of a spiritual kingdom worked out in the lives of his people, one that was characterized by people laying down their lives for others as Christ did for us. For many in the church, their vision is different. They don't believe Christ will return, and they expect their power on earth will remain. How they live is their way, it is not the way of Christ, because they're building their kingdom on earth, brick by brick, cathedral by cathedral, monument of stone by monument of stone. However, it's not all good news, because even some Christian fascists, appalling as they are, they've discovered that the church is a millstone around their neck. 
speak to any priest, minister or pastor, and you will find that they spend most of their time trying to keep the church afloat, rather than doing any real work of the Christian ministry. Many of them have forgotten what that even looks like. Many are too scared of their congregation to challenge them in any way, since these people pay their salary. These vile, hypocritical creatures remind the priests and pastors and ministers daily that they exist solely because the good people of the church are paying their salary. But these buildings, these church structures, these properties are nothing short of an obstacle to any real Christian work, even the work of religious atheists. I have seen the effect of this on many men and women over the years. It destroys them, emotionally and psychologically. But the church doesn't care about the damage, and these people, many who are Christian fascists, are thrown on the scrap heap as garbage and refuse. While new people are recruited, fresh blood to be squeezed by the local church. I think many churches have a graveyard behind the church where they put minister after minister after minister in unmarked graves. It's also a crime to be investigated. The way many churches treat their ministers, pastors and priests is an absolute disgrace. Now I would go further and say that it's a crime. I strongly believe that if government seriously investigated abuse of the clergy and overwork directed at the clergy, this is not clergy abuse but abuse directed at the clergy, then a great many congregation members would face terms of imprisonment and be locked away for years. These include false allegations against the clergy, gossip, slander, threats against ministers, abuse against ministers and ministers' families, harassment, and actual violence. For many ministers, priests, and pastors, there is absolutely no protection for the clergy in the church, only abuse a culture of intimidation and toxicity. What's a starting point? A starting point is that heritage belongs to the nation, not to the church. A starting point might be for the government to assume ownership and control of every heritage property in the nation. These belong to the nation, not to the churches, and they cost too much to maintain anyway. If you're working for the government and you're listening to buy a podcast, then take note. Please relieve the Australian churches of all the heritage properties. Most church leaders don't want them or need them. They're more museums these days. They're more relics than anything else. They represent a time in our history that's full of shame, built during the indigenous genocide or the sectarian hatred or xenophobia, and they've become idols for the congregation. In addition, there are churches that also oversaw the appalling abuse of children, and many of these places are still open. The victims can return to the scene of the crime and wonder, why are these churches still open? Please, please take back the buildings. The churches don't need them. The nation may, or the town may. They can pay for them if they want them. If not, then these old, decrepit buildings could make nice flower shops, cafes or homes. 
many do. We cannot serve both God and money, that's what Jesus said, but the church doesn't believe that. I once heard a, a sermon by a priest where he told his congregation, this was in the Protestant church, where he told his congregation if they gave enough money to the church then this would secure their place in heaven. He's not alone. Money is the main reason many people become priests. It's a step up in salary and reputation, especially in the wealthy traditional churches. A few priests love to control people. There's always a few people like that in any profession and they gravitate to the confessional and the path to abuse, but it is the love of money that drives many to the pulpit in our generation. Many are too young to have life experience. They're easily manipulated by their local churches and few of them last the distance. They end up in that unmarked graveyard I mentioned before, to be forgotten. The church rewards mediocrity and conformity. There are a few people in the church, um, like Jesus Christ, like Paul, but they would not be welcome there anyway. Many priests and ministers are, however, mediocre people. Many of them go into the church far too young, before they've had any life experience. Only a few enter the ministry, as they call it, later in life after they've worked for a while. Only a few give up a solid career to enter the ministry. For most people, being a minister, a pastor, a pastor or a priest is a step up financially. And in some of the denominations, if you play your cards right, you can hit the jackpot. And Jesus is your ticket to the good life. It's a far cry from the life of Christ and Paul. Tradition says that all the apostles, bar John, were martyred for their faith in Christ. Martyrdom means death for the sake of their faith. The most severe punishment many priests receive in Australia is a paper cut. That is, if they sit down, shut up and do as they're told. Most do, and so they survive. They live a life of profound mediocrity, underachievement and disappointment. How do I know? You see it in their faces. Look at them sometime. But once in the ministry, many priests and pastors spend their time making fun of the life of Jesus and his disciples, or the Bible in general. The popular target is Paul the Apostle. Many churches love to criticise him. I really don't know why. Perhaps he is too honest, and church leaders don't like honesty. One of my goals in Freedom Matters today is to rehabilitate Paul. I believe Paul has not only understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is able to communicate effectively what that gospel is in a way that is meaningful and life-transforming. But also because of his experiences in many places and with many people, many of his insights about psychology, about social organization, inter interaction in different contexts, are exactly what people are saying today in modern psychology. So Paul was saying these things 2,000 years ago. It's all there in the New Testament. Paul was one of the greatest thinkers in the history of the world. But he was a man whose life was transformed by his encounter with the risen Christ. So Paul bashing is very popular in the church by ministers. But it's a distraction. It's a diversion so you can't see what they're doing with your money. 
while you're laughing at their jokes about Jesus or Peter or Paul, they're lining their pockets and having a little chuckle as well at your expense. Jesus is their ticket to the good life. It is all, after all, only money, or your money. But Jesus came to give us life so that we might have it to the full. John 10, verse 10. It's not about money. What Jesus has come for is to bring us peace with God, life, hope, a new beginning, a new relationship with God, and true freedom. The church cannot give us these things. The church cannot give us true freedom. Only God can. In John 8.36, Jesus said, If the Son of Man sets you free, then you shall be free indeed. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can read today's podcast on our blog at freedommatterstoday.com or listen to all the earlier episodes of Freedom from Fascism. Join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom Matters Today.